This is CHUO 89.1 FM. Welcome to this week's episode of The Mosaic. We're going to take a look at what's going on in Ottawa through in-depth discussion. Whether it's social justice or music and art, we're covering it all to highlight the voices of our diverse community. Today, a ranging discussion on the state of paratranspo. We hear from the chair of the Transit Commission and members of the advocacy group Ottawa Transit Riders. So there, there's a lot that's on the roadmap for OC Transpo to look at how service could be improved and how we can address those concerns that have been raised. Then we take a look at what Chamberfest has going on tonight. Getting into the Halloween mood, we take a trip to Saunders Sawmill on its opening night. Then we wrap up with a fall movie review for students and Netflix users alike. I'm Lauren Rolston, and we've got all that coming up on The Mosaic. Paratranspo is one of the most important facets of the OC Transpo system, making around 800,000 trips per year. Last month, Ottawa City Hall hosted an event for Paraparity, a movement of the Ottawa Transit Riders Advocacy Group for Paratranspo Riders. They arrived with seven demands, including same-day on-demand booking and 24-hour booking, and service at the forefront. CHO's Arya Gunde has more. Ottawa Transit Riders is a group calling for transit services in Ottawa. They advocate for safe, affordable, and accessible services through campaigns like Paraparity. The campaign aims to address the shortcomings of Paratranspo. John Reddins is a volunteer board member of the Ottawa Transit Riders and advocate for Paraparity. We invited uh, the city council and the mayor. We had a representative from the mayor's office and probably eight or nine councillors in attendance or had someone from their staff attend the event. I'm Glenn Gower. I represent Stittsville as a city councillor and I'm chair of the Transit Commission. There were a number of councillors there and OC Transpo staff as well. It was good to chat with some some of the Paratranspo customers. I saw some familiar faces there, people who we've seen come out to our committee meetings before and some people that I've spoken to as well offline and, and uh, a few new people who I hadn't met before. So a real range of uh, people who, who use Paratranspo in different ways, right? Some people who are using it more to get to work, some people using it for appointments, some people using it more for, uh, for recreation and entertainment. So it's good to have um, a range of different experiences represented there. And then we presented them with demands and talked to them a lot about why we were advocating for accessible transit. And then we had an hour with cheese and crackers where people could specifically speak face to face with people who actually use paratransport. That's Carrie Glines Elliott, co-founder and board member of the Ottawa Transit Riders. Yeah, uh, so they had a number of specific items that they were trying to draw attention to. I think a lot of them, oh, all of them we've we've heard before, so I don't think there are any, any surprises or new requests on there. Um, one of the key things is just about continually being able to improve the service. And then the other chief thing we heard about was just concerns about reliability and about um, punctuality of the buses and customer service issues. Basically, what we want is we want same-day on-demand booking for Paratranspo. Right now, people who use Paratranspo have to give at least 24 hours notice when they're booking. So if in the middle of the day, somebody calls up and says, hey, I have a cancellation, would you like to join us? Or, hey, I've got tickets to an event, would you like to join us? People who use Paratranspo can't do that. Say, for example, you have to go for a carton of milk down the road and you don't have access and you can't go to go get 
Yeah. That can help when you have friends come over and you're putting on a meal or something. You're trying to be dependable on the day-to-day life. It's affecting our day-to-day life and our mental health. So number one demand is on-demand same-day booking. Second is extended hours, preferably 24-hour booking and service. Uh, A lot of people get stuck at hospitals, for example. They get discharged at midnight and they can't get home. There have been some nightmare stories about people trying to get to the airport very early in the morning and not being able to or missing a ride at some point. Uh, Last summer, a gentleman had to spend the night in a hotel lobby waiting for paratranspo to start up in the morning. 24-hour service, if nothing else, even if it's somewhat limited. There are other things. People who use Paratranspo lobbied very, very hard to have Presto readers inside the buses and they put them in a place that's not accessible. There's a step up. So if you're in a wheelchair, you can't access the Presto reader. You have to hand it to the driver. So one of our demands is they are going to have 92 new buses and we want them to make the Presto reader accessible. When asked about the budget concerns, Councillor Gower made it clear Paratranspo had best fared the OC Transpo deficit. Paratranspo is definitely a priority. Paratranspo serves, well, over the past few months, 70 to 80,000 customer trips. And I know for a lot of people, that is their only way of getting around. It's their only connection to other parts in the city. We're also continuing to make investments in Paratranspo in the last term of council. Based on customer feedback, we did introduce the online booking, which is something that I've been asked for for quite a long time. So that's been implemented. And at our last council meeting, we actually approved accelerating the replacement of the Paratranspo fleet. It's at the end of its life cycle, and we made a, a decision uh, to, to move up our purchasing and replacement of the parabuses. And the other thing, too, is it's been a priority for a number of years now to ensure that every other aspect of OCU Transpo is fully accessible, whether it's a, a conventional bus or whether it's uh, the trains and the stations. All of these services that OC Transpo provides must be fully accessible for residents. And accessibility is something that that benefits everyone as well. And and we're going to see more and more people who access, whether it's through aging demographic or or other reasons. I think we're going to see more and more demand for paratranspo, and and we need to keep responding to that demand and investing in paratranspo and other aspects of the accessible transit system. Councillor Gower did acknowledge that on-demand booking and 24-hour service for paratranspo will have a budget aspect that is currently being studied for feasibility. Last month though, OC Transpo announced a pilot program to introduce an on-demand service in Blackburn Hamlet for conventional riders. The program caught immediate backlash for using paratranspo buses. The only thing that they have increased is the number of buses, but the only thing with that is they're going to be offering paratransport buses to on-demand or conventional. And how much, if that program continues, how many buses are being taken away from paratransport when our numbers are constantly increasing? That's sort of frustration. Because we've been demanding for on-demand for so long, and all of a sudden they're going to be offering it to conventional. It's like a kick in the teeth. Councillor Gower responds to these concerns about the on-demand use of paratranspo buses saying, The city owns currently 80 paratranspo buses and on the weekends, only 44 of those are used for weekend service because the demand for service for paratranspo goes way down on the weekends. So we have 30 to 40 paratranspo buses that are not used on the weekends. OC Transpo is going to be using 10 of those as part of the pilot for the on-demand service in Blackburn Hamlet. 
If we decide the pilot is successful, we want to expand it, we will not be using the regular paratransport fleet. We would be acquiring specific buses for that on-demand service. They'd be accessible buses. And I think it's a really good pilot because it'll help inform us of some of the feasibility of expanding that on-demand service to other areas of the city. Canceling rides is another major concern for paratransport riders. The policy is very, very strict and says that you can't cancel at short notice and you have to give a reason for canceling. And you realize what a difference that is between paratransport and conventional transit, right? Like if I head out there and then I go, oh, I don't like these shoes, I'm going to turn around. Nobody stops me from doing that, right? But if you ride paratransport, you can't cancel without getting a bit of a finger wag and told uh, you can't do that. So paratransport riders would like a lot more flexibility. If you have so many cancellations, you could be suspended from your service after so many times within a certain amount of hours. It's very frustrating because if a conventional customer gets on a bus and has a last minute thing, they get punished. <laughs> Fairness, equality, that's that's parity is all about. It's, it's equality. Getting counsel to listen to riders is a priority for paraparity though. They certainly didn't make any promises, but you will notice that a lot of our demands don't cost money. A lot of our demands are a question of respect. Putting the presto reader in one location or another, that, that that's not an issue of how much does that cost. That's a yeah. matter of respect. We were terribly disappointed that the mayor uh, wasn't there. He went to Berlin to, read a, to run a marathon. We were really unhappy that Madame Amalcar could not be bothered to show up. Uh, I thought that was very disrespectful. She has been asked multiple times to meet with transit riders, and she has been asked specifically to meet several times with people with disabilities in the city to talk about these issues, and she could not be bothered. Elliot makes a point that mutual respect is crucial to figuring out solutions for the transit system. She points to the fact that paratransport issues are an easy political win for councillors. In the meantime, though, you can find Ottawa Transit Riders at OTT Transit Rider on Twitter show up because because really the reason that we're in this situation is that a certain contingent of people who don't care about public transit uh, have had the ear of city councillors and if you show up at these things and you talk to your city councillors they do listen that was CHUO's Aria Gunde Chamberfest Ottawa is introducing Julian Katasti and the Ukrainian Bandura to its city series tonight the bandura is a plucked string folk instrument that looks similar to a lute. Think of a guitar with a harp and a soundboard. Katasti is one of the world's premier players of the national instrument of Ukraine. He's played at the Library of Congress in Washington and composed music for theater, dance, and film. In 2021, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky awarded him the title Honored Artist of Ukraine. Julian Katasti will be playing at St. Albans Church at 7 p.m. tonight. General admission is $20 and can be bought on the Chamberfest website. The organization also offers student and community pricing. Be sure to check out this traditional Ukrainian music. Saunders Farm is a family-owned 100-acre farm southwest of Stittsville. They've been around since 1976, and this year is their 32nd haunting season. The farm opens with autumn attractions and a colorful pumpkin patch. They've got wagon rides, mazes, and a fright fest. These nightly features see circusy nightmares, a haunted hayride, and a barn of terror. The farm brought a haunted colony sawmill exhibit to Lansdowne. Here's Anna Sofia de la Parra on Saunders Farm Sawmill. Oh, 
The Sunders Farm Sawmill at Lansdowne opened on Friday 13, inaugurating the spooky season in the country's capital. There are food and bar trucks with music to accompany a perfect fall evening. The main attraction is the haunted maze, which brought many people out and scared more than a few participants. We got some inside recordings and the screams are as frightening as encouraging everyone who is a horror fan to try it. I almost slept who was with me there. I had to run through it and my flight or fight instinct came in, which involved a lot of screaming. The maze starts with a broken down elevator, which is surprisingly well done, and sets the tone for the rest of the experience. Going through a haunted route where you encounter a meat shop and are forced to separate from your group to dodge the murdered human meat that is being dangled from the ceiling. A butcher with a machine saw is chasing you, and multiple frightening jump scares that will make sure your screams are heard everywhere in the maze. However, the thing that surprised me was the end. You're pushed to the side between two doors, one leading to an escape room in which you have to figure out the final clue on how to escape with the pressure of hearing the same butcher with a saw coming to get you. After the scare of my life, we enjoyed hot chocolate and a bag of popcorn while sitting around multiple warm fires and enjoying music and atmosphere. I spoke with others who went through it and they said it was an enjoyable attraction and a perfect spot to spend one of these spooky October nights. That was CHUO's Ana Sofia de la Para walking us through the opening night of Saunders Farm's sawmill. And now we turn to CHUO's Busher Ben-Hamed for a fall-fashioned movie review. It's fall, which means it's time to cozy up, step on leaves, and of course, watch movies that remind us of the season. And Nora Ephron's 1998 classic, You've Got Mail, is just the perfect movie for that. Starring Tom Hanks as the owner of a mega bookstore, and Meg Ryan as an owner of a small independent children's bookshop, it's a wonderfully charming enemies-to-lovers story between two bookshop owners constantly bickering about ethics, the definition of New York City, and what it means to be in the book business. And while this film is a love story between two headstrong characters, much like Efron's iconic 1989 film When Harry Met Sally, it's also a love letter to the city of New York. It showcases iconic sites from the city and beautifully highlights the fact that a city is made richer and more lovable because of the abundance of small independent stores throughout it. The love story is significant in many ways, but specifically because it covered an experience that was new to everyone at the turn of the century. Online dating and the idea of anonymity. Both Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan's characters are with partners who are self-centered and who lack understanding and often niceness, and that forces them to seek it elsewhere. Hanks and Ryan's characters find themselves in a chat room and continue their conversation, albeit anonymously, over months and months, developing deep feelings for one another. But what will happen when they find out that the one person they long for is their arch nemesis? The film is brilliantly punctuated with a whimsical score and songs from the likes of Louis Armstrong and Harry Nilsson, adding to the charm of the film and its nostalgic feeling. A delightful, quintessentially New Yorkian movie packed with terrific performances, beautiful sights, and great lines that can only come from a mind as brilliant as Nora Ephron's, this film should be at the top of your list for your next movie night with a cup of chamomile tea and a box of tissues. You've Got Mail is currently available on Netflix. That was CHUO's Busher Ben-Hamed with a movie review on You've Got Mail. And that's it for today's episode of The Mosaic. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can listen to this episode and previous ones on CHUO.FM. I'm Lauren Rolston, and we'll see you next week.